Chapter Four, Part Twenty Three of the Works of Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume Ten. Ingersoll's Closing Address to the Jury in the Second Star Rout Trial, Part Twenty Three of Twenty Four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana in january two thousand nineteen part twenty three now let me speak just a moment about these people the defendants in this case first there is stephen w dorsey i take a great interest in this case i admit it i would rather lose my right hand than have you convict stephen w dorsey i admit it i admit that if he were convicted i would lose confidence in trial by jury i would believe that there were no twelve men in the world that had the honor and the manhood to stand by what they believed to be the evidence and the law i would feel as though trial by jury was a failure i admit i have that interest in it all that anybody can have in any case you can only convict that man by the testimony of a w moore and m c Rurdell. that testimony withdrawn from the record and there is not one word against him i want you to know and i want you to remember what kind of a man he is you have seen him you know him and you know something of him it is for you to decide whether you will take the testimony of Rurdell as against that man it is for you to decide whether you will take the testimony of a w moore as against that man these men who are prosecuting him seem to forget who he is and what he has been yet men disgrace the position that stephen w dorsey helped to give them by attacking him john w dorsey can be convicted by the testimony of nobody there is no testimony against him except that of one man he is an honest man he told exactly what he did and he told it like an honest man he told why he did not put his money in his pocket in the bank at middlebury vermont because they thought that he owed a debt which he did not think he owed he need not have told it but he is an honest man and that is the reason he told it the prosecution does not appreciate that kind of man that is they say they do not the only witnesses against minor are Rodell and moore and they being dead that is the end of it what evidence is there against harvey m vale one witness mr Rodell. what did harvey m vale do at the solicitation of mr minor he advanced money to prevent his having a failing contract what else did he do he wrote a letter saying that he was trustee for s w dorsey and he was because the concern owed s w dorsey a few thousand dollars and agreed out of the profits to repay stephen w dorsey that is all that is all you have seen mr vale here from day to day you know that he is a man of mind i think he is an honest man i think he testified to the exact truth he did what any other man has the right to do he helped a man not entirely from charity but believing after all that it might be a good investment as you have done if you have ever had the opportunity and there is not the slightest scintilla of evidence against him not the slightest 
I believe every word that he testified, and so do you. And then they come to Thomas J. Brady, and they tell you that that man is to be convicted upon the testimony of whom? Mr. Walsh? And who else? Mr. Rodell. You have some idea of human nature? You have a little, and I have a little. Here is Mr. Walsh, an athlete, a man who, had he lived in Rome in ancient times, might have been a gladiator. He loans Mr. Brady 25000 or $30,000. For some of this money he has notes. For other portions he has not. He sends word to Brady that he would like to fix the interest. He goes there, and Brady takes these notes and puts them in his pocket, and they part as philosophers. If we believe that, we must believe it as idiots. You do not believe it. You do not believe any man ever allowed another man to take $25,000 in notes belonging to him and put them in his pocket and walk off, he taking off his hat at the door and you bowing and wishing him a happy voyage. My mind is so constructed that I cannot believe that. I cannot help it. I imagine your minds are built a little after the same model. I do not believe the story. You do not. Who is the next witness against Mr. Brady? Mr. Rodell. It is sufficient for me to speak the name. I need argue no further. That is enough. You saw Mr. Brady on the stand, and you heard him give his testimony. No man could listen to it without knowing it to be true. I say now to each one of you that when you heard it, you believed it, and every one of you believed it was the truth. Take from this record the testimony of Rodell, Walsh, and Moore, and what is left? Some papers, petitions, orders, affidavits, all made, signed, and filed in the cloudless light of day. That is all that is left. Where is your conspiracy? Faded into thin air, nothing left. I presume it will be said by the prosecution that I spent about three days on Mr. Rodell. I admit it. Why? Because I regarded Rodell as your case. Because I made up my mind that when I killed Rodell, the case had breathed its last. That is the reason. And had it been necessary to spend a few weeks more, I should have done so. But it is not necessary. Probably I wasted a great deal of time upon the subject, but if he is not dead, I do not want it in the power of any human being to say that it was my fault. I went at him with intent to kill, and I kept at him after I knew that he was dead. I admit it. Now, gentlemen, let us see what I have proved. Let us see what up to this time I have substantiated in my judgment. First, I think I have shown that John W. Dorsey, John M. Peck, and John R. Minor agreed in 1877 to go into the mail business. That Peck wrote a letter to Stephen W. Dorsey, who was then a United States Senator, asking him to get some competent man to get reliable information as to the cost of service on routes in the western states and territories then advertised by the general government that S. W. Dorsey gave that letter to A. E. Boone, that he told him to say nothing about it to the other contractors, that Boone sent out circulars for the purpose of getting the requisite information, that is, the cost of corn and oats and the wages of men, 
that john r minor came to washington on the first of december eighteen seventy seven that he went to the house of stephen w dorsey as had been the custom for several years that he occupied a room in that house and that he and mr boone went on with the business of making proposals and getting up forms of contracts that john w dorsey came here in the early part of january eighteen seventy eight that after his arrival the partnership was formed between him and a e boone and that the partnership was dated the fifteenth day of january eighteen seventy eight that s w dorsey at the request of his brother and brother-in-law advanced the amount of money necessary to pay incidental expenses that he gave his advice whenever it was asked that he assisted the parties all that he conveniently could that the last bids or proposals were put in by these parties on the second of february eighteen seventy eight that the awards were made on the fifteenth day of march of the same year that minor peck dorsey and boone received about five times as many awards as they had anticipated thereupon another partnership was formed with the style of minor peck and company and that the partners in this firm were john r minor john m peck and john w dorsey that thereupon john w dorsey and john r minor went west for the purpose of subcontracting the routes that john r minor on his return from the west met stephen w dorsey at st louis about the sixteenth of july eighteen seventy eight that stephen w dorsey up to that time had advanced eight thousand or nine thousand dollars that he then gave to mr minor notes amounting to about eight thousand five hundred dollars to be by him discounted at the german american national bank of washington that stephen w dorsey then told minor that he would advance no more and would endorse no more that stephen w dorsey went from st louis to new mexico that john r minor came to the city of washington arriving here about the twentieth of july that john r minor then found that service in eastern oregon was not in operation although it had been subcontracted but he then applied to thomas j brady for an extension of time that brady refused to give it that minor peck and company had not the money to stock the routes not then in operation and that stephen w dorsey had refused to advance further means that john w dorsey was then in the west and that john m peck was then in new mexico that thereupon mr minor applied to harvey m vale and that mr vale went to mr brady and asked whether an extension of time could be given provided he undertook to put the service on those routes that brady then gave him until the sixteenth day of august eighteen seventy eight that thereupon minor under the authority of powers of attorney from john m peck and john w dorsey agreed upon the terms on which h m vale should advance the money necessary to put the service in operation that the contract bears date of sixteenth day of august eighteen seventy eight and was duly executed by all the parties on the last of september or first of october of that year that the service was not in operation by the sixteenth of august and that in august brady telegraphed to h m vale to know what routes he was going to put service on that thereupon vale replied that he would see that all the service of minor peck and dorsey 
was put in operation that through the assistance of mr vale the service was put in operation that before that time stephen w dorsey had been secured by minor peck and john w dorsey executing post-office drafts upon the routes that had been awarded to them that on the seventeenth day of may eighteen seventy eight an act was passed by the congress of the united states allowing subcontractors to place their subcontracts on file that after vale came in and agreed to furnish the money necessary to put the service in operation john r minor having powers of attorney from peck and john w dorsey executed to h m vale subcontracts for the purpose of securing him for the money he had advanced that h m vale put these subcontracts on file thus cutting out and rendering worthless as security the post-office drafts that had been given to s w dorsey for the purpose of securing him that john w dorsey returned from the bismarck and tongue river route in november eighteen seventy eight and that he then offered to sell out his entire interest in the business to vale for ten thousand dollars and left instructions authorizing his brother s w dorsey to make such sale for such amount that john w dorsey then returned to the tongue river route that stephen w dorsey returned to washington in december eighteen seventy eight and for the first time found that the subcontracts have been given to vale that he and mr vale had a quarrel with the german american national bank on that question that afterwards dorsey was to give ten thousand dollars to john w dorsey and ten thousand dollars to john m peck that he then concluded not to do so that on the fourth day of march when s w dorsey's senatorial term expired he immediately wrote a letter to brady insisting that the subcontracts that had been filled by vale were in fraud of his rights that thereupon the parties in interest came together that s w dorsey acting for peck his brother and himself agreed with vale and minor to a division of the routes that s w dorsey paid peck ten thousand dollars for his interest paid john w dorsey ten thousand dollars for his interest and took substantially thirty per cent of the routes and paid himself the money that was owing to him by minor peck and company that the parties at the time executed to each other subcontracts and such other papers as were necessary to vest as far as they then under the law could vest the routes so divided in the parties to whom they fell that on the fifth day of may eighteen seventy nine the division was completed and that from that time forward vale and minor had no interest in the routes that fell to stephen w dorsey and that from that time forward stephen w dorsey had no interest in the routes that fell to vale and minor and that john w dorsey and john m peck had no interest in any route from that date forward until the present moment that s w dorsey took entire and absolute control of his routes and that minor and vale took entire control of their routes that from that time until the present neither party interfered with the routes of the others that vale and minor made no paper of any sort character or kind for stephen w dorsey after the fifth of may eighteen seventy nine and that neither john w dorsey nor john m peck made any papers of any kind sort or character 
for minor or veil after that date no matter what date papers bear that were made before that time that s w dorsey made no papers for minor or veil after that date and that minor and veil made no papers for s w dorsey after that date may fifth eighteen seventy nine that all the papers bearing date after the fifth of may were in fact signed by the parties at or before that time that they were so signed for the purpose of making the division complete that vale and minor on their routes got up petitions that they had a right to do that s w dorsey upon his routes got up petitions as he had the right to do that the routes were increased and expedited by the second assistant postmaster general in accordance with the policy of the department and in accordance with the petitions filed and the affidavits made as he had a right to do that it was not for the contractors to settle the policy of the post office department that the evidence of a w moore is unworthy of belief and that his statement that he settled with s w dorsey is demonstrated to be false by the receipts that he afterwards gave in final settlement to john r minor as admitted by himself that his testimony as to the existence of a conspiracy is rendered worthless and absurd by the fact that he sold out not only his interest but his services up to that time for six hundred and eighty two dollars that his conversations with minor could not have taken place that he never made or offered to make such contracts with major as he pretended he was instructed to make and as he swore that he did make that his conversation with s w dorsey never occurred that the testimony of rodell is utterly and infinitely unworthy of credit that he is not only contradicted by all the evidence but by himself and how can you corroborate a man who tells no truth there must be something to be corroborated that the red books never existed that the pencil memorandum was forged by himself that the chico letter was written by him and that the letter from dorsey to bosler said to have been dated may thirteenth eighteen seventy nine was born of the imagination of mr Rudell. that Rudell's letter to bosler of the twenty second of may eighteen eighty was never sent was never received and was never written until after this man made up his mind to become a witness for the government that bosler never received that letter or the letter pretended to have been written by dorsey on the thirteenth of may eighteen seventy nine that a tabular statement in which thirty-three and one-third per cent was allowed to brady never existed that riddell did not visit dorsey's office in new york in june eighteen eighty one and that he had no conversation with tory that riddell was not there that he did not have the conversation detailed by him with dorsey at the albemarle hotel that dorsey did not write the letter of the thirteenth of june eighteen eighty one that riddell swore in june eighteen eighty one that dorsey was entirely innocent that he swore to three affidavits of the same kind that he again swore to the same thing on the thirteenth of july eighteen eighty two that he admitted by his letter of july fifth eighteen 
1882, that S. W. Dorsey did not even ask him to make the affidavit of June 1881, but that he was persuaded to do it by James W. Bosler. That he was not locked up at Willard's Hotel. That he was not threatened with a prosecution for perjury. That he was not shown the letters he had written to a woman that the whole story with regard to the making of that affidavit was utterly and unqualifiedly false that he never had the conversation with thomas j brady that he claimed that brady never suggested to him to have any books copied that there were no books of dorsey's that needed to be copied that he did not see s w dorsey draw any money at middleton's bank at the time he states that he, Riddell, drew the money himself, and that his entire testimony is absurd, contradictory, and utterly unworthy of credit. Let me say another thing to you, gentlemen, right here. It would be better a thousand times that all the defendants tried in the next one hundred years should escape punishment than that one man should be convicted upon the evidence of a man like this, a man who offered to the government to make a bargain while the trial was in progress that he would challenge from the jury all the friends of the defendants and help the government to get the enemies of the defendants upon the jury you never can afford to take the evidence of such a man it turns a courthouse into a den of wild beasts you cannot do it i have shown that the story of walsh is improbable and that all that boone swears against these defendants cannot be believed that walsh never loaned the money to brady that he claimed and that brady never took from him the notes as he says that brady never made in his presence the admissions that he swears to think of it brady robbing walsh and at the same time saying to walsh i am a thief and public robber I have shown to you, gentlemen, it seems to me, that no reasonable human being, taking all this evidence into consideration, can base upon it a verdict of guilty. It cannot be done. Now, gentlemen, the responsibility is upon you. And what is that responsibility? You are to decide a question involving all that these defendants are. You are to decide a question involving all that these defendants hope to be. Their fate is in your hands. Everything they love, everything they hold dear, is in your power. With this fearful responsibility upon you, you have no right to listen to the whispers of suspicion. You have no right to be guided or influenced by prejudice. You have no right to act from fear. You must act with absolute and perfect honesty. You must beware of prejudice. You must beware of taking anything into consideration except the sworn testimony in this case. You must not be controlled by the last word instead of by the last argument. You must not be controlled by the last epithet instead of by the last fact. You must give to every argument, whether made by defendant or prosecution, its full and honest weight. You must put the evidence in the scales of your judgment, and your manhood must stand at the scales, and then you must have the courage to tell which side goes down and which side rises. That is all we ask. We ask the mercy of an honest verdict and of your honest opinion. 
we ask the mercy of a verdict born of your courage a verdict born of your sense of justice a verdict born of your manhood remembering that you are the peers of any in the world and it is for you to say gentlemen whether these defendants are worthy to live among their fellow-citizens whether they shall be taken from the sunshine and from the free air and whether they are worthy to be men among men it is for you to say whether they are to be taken from their homes from their pursuits from their wives from their children that responsibility rests upon you it is for you to say whether they shall be clothed in dishonor whether they shall be clad in shame whether their day of life shall set without a star in all the future sky that is for you it is for you to say whether stephen w dorsey john w dorsey john r minor thomas j brady and h m vale shall be branded as criminals it is for you to say after they have suffered what they have after they have been pursued by this government as no defendants were ever pursued before whether they shall be branded as criminals it is for you to say whether their homes shall be blasted and blackened by the lightning of a false verdict it is for you to say whether there shall be left to these defendants and to those they love a future of agony of grief and tears nothing beneath the stars of heaven is so profoundly sad as the wreck of a human being nothing is so profoundly mournful as a home that has been covered with shame a wife that is worse than widowed children worse than orphaned nothing in this world is so infinitely sad as a verdict that will cast a stain upon children yet unborn it is for you to say gentlemen whether there shall be such a verdict or whether there shall be a verdict in accordance with the evidence and in accordance with the law and let me say right here that i believe the attorneys for the prosecution eager as they are in the chase excited with the hunt after the sober second thought would be a thousand times better pleased with the verdict of not guilty of course they want victory they want to put in their cap the little feather of success and they want you to give in the scales of your judgment greater weight to that feather than to the homes and wives and children of these defendants do not do it do not do it i want a verdict in accordance with the evidence i want a verdict in accordance with the law i want a verdict that will relieve my clients from the agony of two years i want a verdict that will drive the darkness from the heart of the wife i want a verdict that will take the cloud of agony from the roof and the home i want a verdict that will fill the coming days and nights with joy i want a verdict that like a splendid flower will fill the future of their lives with a sense of thankfulness and gratitude to you gentlemen one and all this ends chapter four part twenty three of twenty four